Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me in my home in McKinney, Texas for Gospel Saving Church. And thank you everyone for coming from SoundCloud all over the world, listening to Gospel Saving Church on SoundCloud. God bless you. And uh, praise God. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for listening as well, too. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get into our, uh, our doing our job for the Lord here. I'm, I'm ready to Preach again. The Lord's given me a great message this week, I believe. And uh, let's start off with a word of prayer so we can hear what God has to say to us this week. Well, shall we? So, Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for uh, gracing us today with another day. Lord, for your mercies are new every day, Lord, and that you've given us uh, another day to get up and, and, and live for you. And, Lord, I pray that today we would glorify you. In our lives. And I pray, dear God, that we would also not only bring you glory, Lord, I pray we'd also do for you what you really want, Lord, and that's us to have a relationship with you. For that is why you made us, Lord. The very first thing that people started doing with you, Adam and Eve, or Adam in the very beginning, was you walked with them in the garden, Lord. You want our relationship, you want our intimate fellowship with you first and foremost, Lord. And then you want us to bring you glory. So, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to bring you glory today as we listen to this message. Help us to understand what you're saying. Speak to our hearts, Lord. And then as you say in your word, Jesus, help us not to be just hearers of the word only, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word. That we may be those that hear your word and do it. That we may be the, the house that's built upon the rock, Lord, where the rains come and the storms come and the floods come, but we stand strong because we're doing what you say because we're standing on Christ the rock. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for your word and thank you so much for, for your love. We ask you to bless this message and help us to understand. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is going to be our last chapter of 2 Timothy. We should be through this in, I would say, less than a few more weeks. We should be done with it. Today we're going to study the first five verses, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. If you want to be turning there, or you can listen to me as I as I, you know, read it along here in a little bit. But first I'm going to go through my thoughts from last week's message, The Perilous Last Days. The last couple weeks I have been talking about how the world Our world that we live in now is in its last days of this creation because that's what, you know, the Bible says. The Bible says that God at one point is going to bring an end to this world, an end to these times, and he's going to bring a new world, a new creation, and, you know, one that he builds without sin, a a new heavens and a new earth. So, and I truly believe this because mainly I'm seeing all the signs that Jesus Christ gave in Matthew chapter 24 and the ones that Paul is giving here. I'm seeing all these signs bringing us to the last days, i.e., you know, we just saw a 7.8 earthquake in Ecuador just last week, ISIS brutally killing masses of Christians, and the widespread hatred of people against people. It's just, it's all over the place. The signs are evident. That's just what I see today, April 2016. Now, although I believe that we're in the very last days of of the last days, the last of the last days of the last days, I want you to be careful of what type of attitude you have towards life right now. What do I mean? 
Well, I don't want you to start thinking, well, you know, Pastor Ed, and I, you know, he says this, and I do, I do still see all those signs just like he does. And, you know, since we are in the last days of the last days, I don't have to save money for retirement. I don't have to go to college or get a degree. I don't got to pay my bills. And, you know what, I can just be responsible with life. I don't have to go to work. I'm, you know, I'm just, might as well go out and become a bum because, you know what, hey, we're in the last days. It's in the last moment of time. I mean, you know, Jesus is going to come back. The end's coming. I mean, why bother? I'm not, there's no going to be no retirement for me if you're a teenager or if you're in the 20s or 30s. It, it could be any day, any day soon. I, I don't want you to have this attitude. Me and my son have had this same talk, my eldest son. He said the same thing to me when we talked about the end times and how close it is. And he, Well, I'm not going to go to college then, Dad. It's, it's a waste of time. It doesn't matter. Well, I said, no, 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 son, because, 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 even though the end is near, we shouldn't have this kind of I don't care attitude because of the principles that Jesus Christ taught. Just one, just so you hear this, he, Jesus taught this more in more than one place, but just one, just, you know, this basic Principal teaching Jesus taught in Luke 19, 11 through 13. For time's sake, see, look at how it applies to what, what I just said. Jesus, uh, the Bible says, Now as they heard these things, talking about the things of the end, he, Jesus, spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. And listen to this, because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So you see, even the disciples, when they heard Jesus talk about the end, they thought, the end is near. That's it. It, it, it. Just a few more days. And so Jesus gave this parable to address this attitude we should have about the last days and about how we should have a not quit attitude at the end of our, you know, at the end of our days, the end of the days of this world. He says, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. What did he just say? Hey, stay busy about my work till I come back. Don't think the end is near. I quit. I'm, that's it. I'm done. No, do business till I come. And well, we'll get off of that now because I'm not going to get into a whole teaching I could do on that. Since nobody knows but God, when Jesus Christ is coming back, we must keep doing his business until we die or he comes back to get us, whichever comes first, and not just stop living life. And since Jesus said in Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I'm coming quickly. And we know that's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus spoke that to us. We know that God is on a different clock than we are. And he didn't say, I'm coming quickly in Revelation 22, 7, meaning I'll be here in a few more days. He was saying, when I come, I'm going to do it quick. Boom. You know, Bible says he's going to come kind of like a thief in the night. Boom. He's going to come. It's going to be just that fast. Nobody's going to be prepared. It's all going to be, bam, there he comes. So we must stay ready for Christ to come back. And that means staying busy being about his business and being responsible, taking care of what he's blessed us with and the, the things in life that he's given us to take care of, our homes, our families, our wives, our children, our jobs. We need to make sure we take care of all these things and, and of course, you know, do the things that God says and be a follower of Jesus Christ until he comes back and not quit. So Christians, don't lose heart in living life. Don't give up. When you think of the end being upon us and how bad things have gotten, and they will get more, because as the end comes closer, of course, 
things are going to get worse. Nothing gets better in, in, in this world until Christ comes back, really. Until everything is all done, nothing really gets better. Okay, Just really, instead of you know thinking of how bad it is, rejoice that you know the time is short. You know, because we do know the time is short. So we're not going to be here much longer. So rejoice that we're going to be out of here pretty soon. Rejoice that, you know, we're probably going to be killed by the Antichrist. You know, if it's a if it's a post-trib rapture like I believe, we're probably going to be killed by the Antichrist. You know, that's not going to be much longer. Hey, we're going to be out of here pretty soon. We're going to get to see Jesus. We're going to be with him forever. Just rejoice and be faithful and doing God's business and doing God's work until it's all over. And don't get down about thinking, well, since it's the end, I might as well just give up. Okay? So, anyway, getting back into our, getting into our new message, our new title of our new message is The Gospel Without Repentance. Title of our new message, The Gospel Without Repentance repentance. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read them and then we'll talk about the gospel without repentance. Really today we're going to be studying the last day's church. This is what Paul's referencing here. I'll show you what I mean by that as we go on. But this is the last day's church and it's the gospel without repentance. It's one of the saddest sections of scripture in all the Bible. Paul writes to Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 and he says this, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy could say, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, as I just said in my overview, speaking of having a not-quit attitude on life because of how short the time is or how bad or evil the times get and staying busy about God's work or business until he comes... Did you see what Paul wrote there in verses 1 and 2? Because Paul just basically said the same thing to you as I just said. He just told you, he just said it to you in a little bit different way. Verse 1 again quickly said, I charge you therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So hey, as if Christ is standing here, right here watching you, I give you this charge. Hey, I give you this command. And you know, as I've spoken before, when God's right before us looking at us, it gives a new, you know, wow, a new seriousness to how important I should take this. Hey, God's watching you, and I give you this charge as if he's watching you, right? Because, I mean, he is, really, anyway. He's always watching everybody. He sees everything, knows all. So, as God is my witness, as kind of we say now, as God is looking at us right now, I give you this charge, my son Timothy, who, he goes on to say, will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, So he goes on to say, who, when Jesus comes back, will judge those who are gods and those who aren't gods, both alive and dead, which is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 31. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of his glory. And it says that he'll, basically, he's going to judge the world. Everybody alive, 
then at that point, everybody that's died, everybody that's his, and everybody that's not his. And he sends the angels, and you know, he says to those on my right hand, and the left hand, and those on his right hand are they his, and those on his left hand aren't. So this is what he talks about. Paul reaffirms what he says there in Matthew chapter 25. He says, I, this is what I charge you. This is what command I give you. Because this is about the last days. We're in the last days of, you know, Paul's talking about here. Preach the word and be ready in and out of season. What is he saying? Hey, I know the time is late. I know the time is short. I know the times are evil and they're going to get more evil. Preach the word. Keep going. Keep doing God's business. Keep being busy about God's word, preaching God's word. Stay busy about God's business, whether you feel like it or not. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep preaching God's word. We must, Christians, we must keep busy about doing God's business and being busy about what God says for us to do until he returns. This is what Jesus gave the parable for. Do my business. Excuse me. Keep doing my business. This is what God wants us to do. And what way are we supposed to preach? Look at the rest of verse 2. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He says, convince. What does that mean? Preach the word in such a way to give people proofs that God's real. Hey, what can do that in the Bible? Well, prophecy. God, God says in his word that things are going to happen. Things happen. So I'm going to preach. I, we should be preaching and helping others. Convince others, I should say, that God's word and God are real because that's what the Bible does. It gives us all kinds of proofs that God's word is real. We're supposed to convince people with our preaching. We're supposed to rebuke people with our preaching. What does that mean? If someone is in sin, someone's doing something wrong, someone's using language, that you know, hey man, didn't you know that Christ is going to judge the living and the dead man one day? Don't you know that every word out of your mouth is going to be judged by God one day? Convince, rebuke. If someone's sinning uh, with God's word in love, tell them why they're wrong and why they're in need of repentance. Hey, you, you shouldn't do that. Hey, God's coming back. God's going to judge the world. You better be careful. You better start to fear the Lord. He says, exhort with your preaching. Exhort, that means to strongly encourage other brothers or sisters in the Lord to you know, follow Christ stronger. I love this saying. It's an old saying of mine. I used to have it with another brother. I want to follow Jesus so close that if he stops, I, I bump into the back. Remember that one. I want to follow Jesus so close that if he stops, I, I bump into the back of him. Exhort Christians to walk stronger, walk closer with the Lord. And, and what? Exhort non-believers to do what? Exhort non-believers to come to the Lord. Hey, time is short, man. You're not in a good place. Come on, get exhort, exhortation. Come on, man, let's go. Get, get in the game. Come on, come on, come on. So we're supposed to preach in those ways. And finally, he tells us to what degree we're supposed to preach. He says, with all long-suffering and teaching. The word long-suffering is defined by Strong's as to be patient, to have endurance, to be consistent, to be steadfast, and to persevere. So preach those ways, convince, rebuke, exhort, in all those ways, never ceasing. So uh, endure, be consistent, persevere in preaching and teaching God's word no matter what. No matter how you feel, 
no matter whether you feel right about it or whether you don't feel right about it, in all ways to both help people grow stronger in Jesus and, and to help the lost find Christ. Preach in those ways. And no matter what, how long, how soon you think the end is coming, keep preaching. Keep teaching God's Word. What a command that Paul gives Timothy here. It wasn't just to Timothy, though. It was to all of us. Remember, the Bible is written for our instruction, those followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just written for just anybody. Of course, it's written for all peoples, but it's, it's written, the New Testament, an instruction on righteousness, instruction on how we're supposed to follow Jesus. Now, as I said in the beginning of our service, we're going to look at the last day's church as to why Paul said that we keep preaching that way. Why do we keep preaching, trying to convince people? Why do we keep exhorting people? Why do we keep rebuking people? Why? Because we're going to look at a couple of the saddest verses. We're going to study, I should say, because I've already read them. A couple of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. But before I read them again and teach them to you with all long suffering and such, I just want you to have this idea on your mind. I want you to remember the underlying premise. And I've said it already, but I told you that I was going to show you the underlying premise of this whole section of Scripture, right? And even Paul mentions it here in chapter 4 here, he says, preach the word, he says, uh, for the time will come, he's, he's speaking of a ahead time, right? The time will come, because it wasn't that time then, it's a time to come. So I want you to remember the premise that he started in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but know this, that in the last days, that's why I talked about, this is the last days, church, perilous times will come. And since verse or chapter 3, verse 1, Paul's been telling us some different and, you know, evil and terrible characteristics of the last days. But in these next couple verses, they're no different. And in fact, it's more terrible and worse, and, and there's more evil characteristics of the last days than I've already given you so far. Now, I know you may be thinking, how can that be, Pastor Ed? You've already told us about how in the last days is murdering Christians and all the hatred and so on and so forth. Yes, this is worse to me because... This is God's church that Paul's writing about here. And I'll show you why I believe that as we go through this sermon. But this is the last day's church. How the church of God will look like, what it will look like in the last days. For this is the premise. And as I said in verse 3, for the time will come. Paul's speaking of a future time that I believe this is the last time. So let me read you these verses 3 and 4. Uh, as I already read them, I'm going to read them to you in the teaching way, and I'll show you why I say this. Verse 3, he says this, For the time will come, again, the end time, time of the end, that's our premise, when they, who's they? The people. Well, they are always the people. Will not endure, or what can we say, or keep on. But keep on what? Sound doctrine. So they'll stop enduring, they'll stop listening They'll stop going for, they'll stop being on board for sound doctrine. Or, you could say, in case you don't know what doctrine is, biblically strong teaching. Sound doctrine would be biblically strong teachings of the Bible. So, uh, exegesis, uh, in case you don't know what that means. Exegesis, there's an exegesis study of the Bible, and then there's an eisegesis study of the Bible. Exegesis is when we look at the Bible, and we read it, and then we 
find what it means through what it says, not bring in an idea that we have into the Bible and make the Bible fit how we believe. Exa means you get out of Scripture. Isa means you throw in your own ideas. Exegesis here, study, sound biblical doctrine, means that if we, we come across something that we read, we don't make a whole doctrine out of one thing we read. The whole Bible's got, hey, that's a whole theme that we're going to look at through the whole Bible. The Bible should be its own commentary. That's another way to look at it. I shouldn't be commenting on what the Bible says. I should be letting the Bible comment on what the Bible says. Proving the Bible by the Bible. That's kind of how exegesis, sound biblical doctrine, sound biblical teaching should sound like. So these people are not going to endure sound biblical strong, you know, right out of the Bible, commenting on the Bible, that kind of teaching. And who, by the way, has the job of preaching sound doctrine in, you know, what Paul would be talking about here? Well, of course, it'd be a pastor or a teacher in where? Well, where do pastors teach? Where do teachers teach the Bible? They teach the Bible from a church. So this is a church that Paul's talking about. Okay, and instead of biblically strong teachings of the Bible, Paul goes on to say there in verse 3, but according to their own desires. So we're gonna move, they're going to move out strong biblical teachings and move in teachings according to their own desires. Or what would that mean? According to their own flesh or the lusts of their flesh, because that's the desires that my flesh has that go have, I should say, or has or have that go against the Bible. Because your flesh, your body's always going to go against the Bible's ways. Jesus said, deny self. My flesh says, gimme, 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 gimme. Okay, so keep going. Because they, the people, have itching ears. What does that mean? Uh, they don't want biblical teachings of God's word. They don't want to hear it anymore. They don't want to hear that anymore. Instead, they want teachings that please their flesh. So what do they do? He goes on to say, verse 3, they, the people, will heap up or bring in, exalt, lift up, give the position to, hire on for themselves, teachers or those that will teach them what their tickling ears want to hear, putting that all verse 3 together. And in verse 4, and they, the teachers then, so that they changes there. It's not the people anymore, it's the teachers, will turn their, the people's, ears away from the truth. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. The teachers will turn the people's ears away from the truth. So uh, teaching the people, so the teachers then will come in that they lift up for themselves. They will teach the people false teachings from God's word so that the people, Paul says here, verse 4, will be turned aside to fables or and they would be turned aside to fables, meaning the teachers of the word of God in the churches from the pulpits will teach people stories. Okay? No more truth of God's word, no more strong biblical doctrine, Bible commenting on the Bible, but instead now doctrine that, that, that's what you'd say uh, encourages the flesh or, or is, is desirable to the flesh. And there's no such thing in the Bible, by the way, as a doctrine that's pleasing to your flesh. And then, in, and then along with that, strong biblical or strong stories, instead of strong biblical teachings, they teach stories. 
So these people, we'll, we'll talk about who they are in a little bit. I bet you know what they are already. But they're going to not put up with or listen to or allow the preachers of solid biblical teachings or teachers of solid exegetical teachings of the Bible in churches to teach them anymore because of their itching ears or their hearts that don't want to hear God's truths. So they bring in for themselves teachers that teach them false things about the Bible and give them fables or stories instead that also please their flesh. And the driving reasons they have here is they don't want to hear God's truth anymore because they want teachings that please their fleshly desires and good stories to tickle their ears and make them feel good. To me, as I said already, this is one of the saddest uh, scriptures in the entire Bible. And, and when we get to the people, the who is doing this, the who that's doing this, it even gets sadder. Who are the people that Paul is talking about here? Who are the people that can heap up a teacher for themselves? Who are the people that can stop enduring sound doctrine, so stop listening to good, solid biblical teachings? And who would be those that they would heap up for themselves to teach them these stories and these doctrines of their flesh that satisfy their flesh? Well, who would they be? I mean, we're talking about God's word here. We're talking about people. This would be people in a church. So who would we call these people? Well, people that go to churches would call themselves Christians. So I'll call them so-called Christians or namesake Christians because you probably already guessed it. They're not really following God's word here with what they're doing, but they're in a church and they're heaping up for themselves teachers and they're tired of sound biblical doctrine. So we would be talking about Christian churches and those who call themselves or claim to be Christians. And Paul says that these namesake Christians and these namesake Christian churches heap up for themselves false teachers slash pastors and those teachers will teach them lies, not the truth, of God's word along with good stories that'll tickle their ears. Now, that may be a shock to you, but it's not a shock to me because as I've been saying for a long time now, and, and for a long time in my life and a long time at this church, Gospel Saving Church, I think we're in the last days now. And I'm actually seeing this happen already. April 2016, this has been happening in our world and I see it happen in America and all across the world. This has been happening. You may be saying, well, how? How in the world... Do the people of the churches have the power to give a person a job of a teacher, pastor, you may be saying. I mean, Pastor Ed, the, the pastor's the one that has the, you know, the authority, right? I mean, he's the one that gives the teaching, right? Yes, uh, but and no. You see, there's many ways that people have the power in a church and the pastor does not. One way, people get behind someone who teaches and, and they teach teachings that tickle their ears and fleshly pleasing ways and they just start a church and they go from there so that that's happened too where you know people get together there they, they they don't go to any church and they find somebody that teaches you know a way that makes them feel good and they make them the pastor and then before you know it they got a new church and before you know it it's a mega church because everybody wants to hear what they want to hear because everybody wants to hear what makes them feel good right another way and probably the way that Paul's talking about here because if the people of this church stopped enduring sound teaching, that means that they once had it. You can't stop enduring something if you never were enduring it in the first place. 
which means that they stopped enduring in it, which means that these churches that Paul's talking about here would be churches in apostasy or apostate churches, churches that had once been good, but because of whatever reason, you know, money or whatever, their own desires, they stopped preaching sound biblical doctrine and they started going off the cliff and they started, they lost their foundation and, and they, you know, they, they, went, they went aside, they stopped following Christ. So think about this. And these apostate churches, and these churches Paul's talking about here, where God is in control, and or God is not in control, I should say, and the people are, because guess what? God would never, ever, ever tell you, don't follow my word. That's not one thing you're going to hear from God. I had a co-worker years ago that I was talking to him about the Lord, and I asked him where he went to church, and he said, I don't go to church. And I said, well, you, you, you're, you say you're a Christian. He says, well, God told me I don't have to go to church. Well, the Bible says that we should not forsake the fellowshipping of one another together, as in the manner of some. Paul speaks about that. So which means that we should be in fellowship with other Christians in a church, in a church setting, because that's what the Bible talks about is Christians in a church. Okay? So that guy was not hearing from God because God would never tell you, don't go to church. But in these churches where the people are in control and where God's not in control, there's only one reason a pastor or a teacher has a job. Well, that's because the people who go to that church, they give their money to that church. And their money goes to pay the pastors and whoever else works there. Now think about this. If the people that go to these churches stop going and stop giving their money because of the strong biblical teachings that can be offensive, because God's word is kind of offensive, because it tells us that we're wrong and it tells us that we shouldn't live this way and shouldn't live that way. So if the people stop going to these churches and they stop giving their money because of the strong biblical teachings there, then the leaders and the boards and the members of these churches, they all hear about this, of course. Because, of course, this goes around. When people, when, when masses of people just stop going to a church, everybody starts wondering why. Everybody starts asking questions. So as the board members and as the members of the church and as the leaders of the church ask why, and they find out, well, people are leaving because this pastor's preaching too strong from the Bible, they either, A, let them go and keep, hey, we're going to preach God's word no matter what, and they stay on course regardless of the people's approval of what they're preaching, because the Bible's not the most approved book in the world. It's the most why it's the it's the it's the most purchased book in all the world, but it's not the most approved book in the whole world. Okay, they either let them go or they tell the pastor teacher that they need to teach things a little less harsh. They need to tell the pastor, hey pastor, hey, I, I know you're a fire preacher, but man, people are leaving. We need to get we need to get more people, or you know we're gonna have to shut down, or we're gonna have to start paying you. And then the pastor has a choice. Well, I can say no, and I'm gonna keep following God and keep preaching God's word, or I can say, well, yeah, that means I'm not gonna get a paycheck. Oh well, you know I don't know, and maybe maybe I oughta maybe I oughta lighten up a little. Maybe I should tell some more stories. Maybe I should make more, you know. It makes people happy, so that way people come back and they pay so that I can have a job along with others, these other people here. Well, if the pastor doesn't, let's say, because the pastor really, the board rules the pastor, or the members really rule the pastor, if the pastor says, no, I'm going to keep preaching, 
Well, then the board and the members of this, these churches and the leaders of this church, they just fire them. And then they just rehire a pastor that will teach like they want. They just rehire a pastor that will teach the teachings that tickle people's ears, the teachings that people want to hear, the teachings that aren't so strong in the Bible, and then, you know, make people feel really good. And then guess what? When people feel really good, when they hear stuff, they want to hear that again. So they just keep coming back. And when they rehire, just hire a preacher teacher that'll teach exactly the way they want to. And I can tell you firsthand, I know this happens. I've heard about this happening. I know this happens. It's so sad. Again, this is the saddest section of Scripture of the whole Bible because I know this has happened, and what Paul's talking about here is actually a reality today. So what is this false biblical teaching or way of teaching these people that they want to hear? Uh, A teaching that tickles their ears, a a teaching that makes their flesh feel really good or or makes their flesh and their desires, allows them to live according to their desires. Well, it's a whole lot of teachings, actually. There's, a, there's quite a few, but they are all mainly driven and derived from one main false ear-tickling teaching. And you may say, well, what is it? Well, I'll say it's the title of our sermon today. It's the gospel without repentance. Repentance, the word, is metanoi. I, I think I'm saying it right. And it means a change of mind. And it means it involves a turning with contrition from sin. So I'm not happy with sin anymore. Sin's sending me to hell. And it's turning with with contrition from sin to God. I'm going to turn to God and away from my sin. And the way to look at it is the repentant sinner is in the proper condition to accept the divine forgiveness. So until we repent... God has his forgiveness, but we have to repent in order to receive God's forgiveness. Um, This comes from F.F. Bruce, the Acts of the Apostles, Greek text commentary, London, Tyndale, 1952 on page 97. And this is a true idea of what repentance really is. It's a turning of a sinner from sin to God, from the happiness of sin to I'm going to be happy in God, so that we can accept his free forgiveness for sin. So I'll say this, because this is a true statement. There is no repentance, or there is no salvation without repentance. And there's no walk with God without a repentant walk either. How does this teaching, this gospel without repentance, tickle people's ears and allow them to live according to their own desires? Well, think of this. When you have the gospel without repentance, and a walk with God without repentance, then people can just believe in Jesus. So I have this belief in Jesus. I I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. But without repentance and a belief in Jesus, a mental belief in Jesus, we can live exactly how we want to live, including any sinful way that we want to live, and still believe we're saved and going to heaven when we die, Right? This false teaching in the Bible for salvation that tickles people's ears sounds like this. God loves you so very much. And that's not a false, that's not false, but in this way it is. God loves you so much, and usually these 
false apostate churches, that's what they mainly focus on. God's love for you. And we and all you have to do to receive God's love for you is just pray this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart to be your savior so that you can go to heaven. Well, if you can find me this prayer of salvation in the Bible, please email me, call me, text me. My number's on the website. In fact, 214-385-8022 is my number. I'd love to hear from you. If you can actually show me in the Bible this prayer of salvation where we ask Jesus to come into our heart and, and be our Savior so that we can go to heaven. I'll look hard and call me anyway. I'd love to talk to you. But this prayer is not in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. It's not there. It's not there at all. For the walk with God... They mainly just talk about the good things that Jesus did. His healings, all of God's love for them. And they leave out the parts of the Bible that God talks about repentance, where where God talks about repentance and hell and Jesus being your Lord and such. This kind of salvation and walk with God requires people only to have a head knowledge of Jesus Christ and live in any way, sinful or whatever way that they want to, and still allows them to think that they're okay and makes them believe that they're in good with God. It's the ear-tickling, flesh-pleasing gospel without repentance. Here's some interesting facts for you. God led me to do some research here. How important is it that people repent and stay in repentance in their walk with God in the Bible? Well, I want you to know this. According to Strong's Concordance, repentance, repentance or rep, the word repent are mentioned 58 times in the New Testament as something that people should do. Examples. Before Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist, Matthew 3, 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's one of the, it's one of the 58. Uh, example number two. During Jesus' ministry, Matthew 4, 17. From that time forward, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you say, well, Pastor Ed, that's not the new covenant. Well, okay. After his resurrection, Acts 2, 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, during his greatest sermon ever, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, okay, I get it, but what about in the end? Maybe we're in the end times, maybe it's changed. Well, Revelation, check this out. Christ mentions the word repent or repentance to five out of the seven New Testament churches that he writes to in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. Just one example for time's sake, Revelation 3.19 to the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore... Be zealous and repent. Okay? 58 times repentance is used in the New Testament. Now, in comparison, what about this love that these false preachers talk about so much? And I mean, by this I mean, don't get offended. God is all love, for God is love. Okay? But should we make our sermons all about God's love? Is it really all about God's love. Well, think of this. I want you to 
look at these statistics here. Look at these. Look at this this research that I did. The word love in the New Testament is mentioned 147 times. You say, well, Pastor, that proves it right there, 58 to 147. We should talk about love, only love. There's 147 times in the New Testament. But guess what? Less than half of this reference to the word love, God's not talking about his love for us. Less than half, I should say, he's talking about his love for us. The rest are talking about how we ought to love our neighbor, how we ought to love God, not about God's love for us. Less than half of the 147 is about God's love for us. The majority, the most of them are how we ought to love the other people and how we ought to love God. Of course, the one that's mentioned the most, you guys will know, for example, number one, for God so loved the world, right? That love, 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 that's, it's in there. The, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the less than half are not even that strong as for God so loved the world. They're more like, well, because God loved you, you know, he did this and And so less than half of 147 talks about God's love for you. Here we have less than 147, yet we have 58 times repentance is something that we're supposed to do. And more than half of 147 are how you ought to love God, something that you should be actively doing, loving God, loving your neighbor. And here I know it says, those that believe in me should not, will not perish to have everlasting life. And I know that this verse says that if we believe in Jesus, just believe, we would have everlasting life. And if we get our whole doctrine of salvation from one verse, then there's a problem. We have to find our doctrine of the Bible out of more than one verse. But there's more that say other than just believe, and I'll show you at the end of the message. But there Jesus doesn't even talk about what kind of belief that a person should have, does he? He just said, those that believe in me shall have eternal life. Well, Paul tells us Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you should be saved. So it's not a mental belief that saves anybody. It's a heart belief, and those are way different. Okay, so believing in Jesus with just a head knowledge was never to be taught as salvation by Jesus himself, nor any of his disciples. And the other half of the times that God used love in the New Testament, God aims at how we're supposed to love him, Jesus Christ, and others. Examples. Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, when asked what the greatest commandment of God was. He says, you shall love the Lord your God. It's an action that we have to do toward God, not that God does toward us. That you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, if anybody loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Notice we have to love Jesus first. Before God will love us. Again, our love is an outward thing, not only about how God loves us. And we will continue and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Jesus says in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
So as you can see, repentance and living a repentant lifestyle unto God, apart from sin, and loving Jesus Christ and God Almighty, do uh, by doing the things they say are very important to God. Yet you will not hear these terms being taught by those who teach the gospel without repentance, those false teachers of the Bible, these so-called Christ- that these so-called Christians heap up for themselves to tickle their ears and please their flesh. And where do the fables fit in that Paul talks about here? Well, since they don't preach repentance, since they don't preach hell and living a lifestyle of holiness unto God by their ways, since that's not taught, then you see these churches, these big mega churches that have all these people in them that have heaped up these teachers to tickle their ears. They have to fill their time teaching their service somehow. They can't teach large majority of the parts of the Bible because guess what? 58 times and over 70 or 80 times for love and repentance, what we're supposed to be doing, there's a lot of verses. So we can't teach those verses because after all, those don't tickle people's ears. So you see these people that tickle people's ears with this gospel without repentance, they have to fill in the rest of their time of their sermons teaching stories because after all, they don't want to teach the parts of the Bible that people don't like parts of the Bible that offend people. Now, remember, today I told you my overview that I believe that we are in the last days because of all the signs that Christ gave us in Matthew 24, plus what Paul wrote to Timothy in this letter. Well, here you go again. This scripture is another good example. Why? Because it is being fulfilled daily in America and across the world right now, April 2016, more than ever in the history of the world. This salvation without repentance has plagued and destroyed the American church more than any other. And because of it, the majority who call themselves saved and Christians are deceived and are really on their way to hell. I I dare you, I have, I dare you, Go out and ask a hundred people if they're a Christian and if they're saved. I have, I've asked thousands, actually. I've asked thousands of people. If you do this as I have, most of all of those you will ask will tell you that they're saved and they're a Christian they're on the way to heaven when they die. Yet when you ask them why, a large majority of them will tell you it's because they believe in Jesus, or that they were saved when they were, you know, a little kid in a church camp or something after they prayed one prayer. Yet, if you ask them what the Bible actually says about how someone gets saved and becomes a Christian, or what the Bible even says a Christian is, they'll tell you they really don't know. Or they say, well, you know, I really don't read the Bible that much. You know, I, I'm not really sure. You know, maybe it's baptized in water. I don't know, honestly, I'm just not sure. Why? Well, why tell me? Because they ask me all the time. Well, tell me. I said, well, sir or ma'am, I asked you. I know the answer. I, I asked you. And, and then when you say, well, where does the Bible say these things? They won't really know. So you say, let's say, well, because of baptism. Or because I believe, well, I'll hand them the Bible. Or I can hand them the Bible. And you can hand them the Bible and say, well, where? Find it for me. Find me in the Bible where it says all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Have a mental head belief of Jesus. And then you'll be saved. Well, you know, I don't really read the Bible. Anyway, it's a true thing. This belief, this this gospel without repentance is and has been and is more 
destroying the church of America and the church of the world. This gospel without repentance has destroyed true biblical Christianity in America, April 2016. And it is because namesake Christians or people who call themselves Christians have heaped up teachers for themselves who teach them false biblical teachings and good stories that tickle their ears instead of the truth of God's word, because that's not what people want to hear anymore. And they and that, that this gospel without repentance allows people to live in any sinful way they want and just have a belief in Jesus. And it's sad, really, 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 really sad. So because Paul saw this evil church age coming, the evil church age that we're living in right now, April 2016, look at our last verse of today. Look at what he says to Timothy in our last verse, verse 5. But you be watchful in all things. What does that mean? Hey, Timothy, be on guard, as we should be today. Be on guard. Watch out that this doesn't happen to you. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Keep preaching God's word without, no matter what comes on you. If you you have persecution, if affliction, keep preaching God's word. Don't stop that whole keep on doing God's will thing, right? He goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist. Go out to the highways and byways, Timothy, Christians today. Go out to the highways and byways and tell people this truth. Because our world needs the gospel with repentance, not the gospel without repentance. And he says, and he finishes, fulfill your ministry. Keep preaching, keep teaching God's truths no matter what happened. That's it. That's it. The church of the last days. The church of our day. Isn't it sad? Sadder still is the fact that the majority church in America and all over the world that we see today, that's what we see today, April 2016. They have fallen to teaching stories that tickle ears, and the gospel of Jesus Christ without the key ingredient of salvation, or I should say the key ingredient for salvation, what should be repentance. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no salvation in Jesus Christ in stories that tickle your ears. You won't find one. There's no good stories that will help me get saved. And there's no salvation in Jesus Christ with just a mental recognition or a simple head belief acknowledgement of Jesus Christ according to your own desires, as Paul speaks about here. So if you have, so if just a head knowledge or belief of Jesus Christ won't save anybody, nor will the stories that tickle people's ears save people, how does the Bible say that people need to be saved? Well, as I said, there's no salvation without repentance, but repentance in and of itself doesn't save anybody either. And what I mean by that is just because I stop sinning and I become the most moral person in the whole world, that doesn't mean that I get saved automatically. That's, that's a lie. Just because I may become the most holy person on all the earth from not sinning, that doesn't save me. It's repentance unto God, unto Christ, that saves people. And a mental belief won't save anybody because there's no repentance there. That's not the gospel. So how does repentance play a part in our salvation? Look what Jesus Christ says on how a person gets saved in Luke 10, 25-28. I know we talked about it already, but I'm going to relate it to now. How do we get saved? 
How do we truly become born again? How do we become real Christians? Luke 10, 25-28, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. What shall I do to go to heaven, Jesus? That's what he wanted to know. Well, that's what he tested him with, but it turns out it worked against him. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And the lawyer stands up and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answers and says, You say rightly. You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body and strength and you shall live. This is salvation. So being saved in Jesus Christ means that we start to love God with all our hearts, souls, strength, and minds. But how do we love God? That's a good question, right? How does somebody love God? Well, you see, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mount of on a mountain one day. We call it the story in the Bible called the Mount of Transfiguration. And while he's there, the disciples kind of, they're kind of dozing, but I don't know where Moses and Elijah show up. Then as they're talking, Peter stands up and says, Jesus, I see that you have these guys here. Let me make you some houses. God shows up from heaven and he speaks from the cloud. Great cloud overshadowed him. says they were afraid. He said, this is my beloved son, Matthew 17, 5. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So how do we get to love God? How do we start to love God? We start to listen or obey Jesus Christ or follow Jesus Christ and obey his words, however you want to put it. Where does repentance play a part in all this? Because without repentance... There's no salvation. We see naturally we love ourselves. Naturally we serve ourselves. Naturally we do things that make ourselves happy. Excuse me. And that serves the lusts of our flesh. To where we live for ourselves. In order to obey Jesus Christ, in order to follow him, in order to obey his words, we must repent or have a change in mind of how we live. Or stop living for ourselves, stop loving ourselves, stop living to satisfy our fleshly desires and wants and needs. And we need to turn to Jesus Christ with all our hearts and we need to surrender to him. This is what it means to start loving God, to repent from loving yourself, to change your mind. Hey, you know what, I'm on my way to hell, I'm in sin, I'm not saved because I don't follow Jesus Christ or his words. And I love myself and I serve myself. And stop doing that, turning to Jesus Christ, surrendering to him. Or exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 10 and Matthew 16. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So he doesn't. if we don't follow him, we're not worthy of what he has for us. And he who finds his life will lose it. He who finds his life, he who is the Lord of his own life, will lose his eternal life. And he who loses his life for my sake, 
He who surrenders to me makes me Lord of his life, gives me their lives, he shall find their eternal life. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, and if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, stop living for himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Stop, get self off throne, and start following Jesus Christ. Start loving God by following Jesus Christ. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever, again, he says the same thing. Whoever desires to save his earthly life is going to lose their eternal life. But whoever loses his life, surrenders his life, loses his life for my sake, in me, will find his eternal life. Will find his eternal life. Life. Did you hear him say anywhere, by the way, there, that someone could just have a mental acknowledgement of him or, oh, I believe in Jesus or just a head belief in him and be saved, go to heaven? No way, Jose. You won't hear Jesus say, all you have to do is acknowledge me as a person that lived and you'll be okay with God. So please, ladies and gentlemen, would you please examine yourselves today And see where you line up with what Jesus Christ said on being saved and walking with him. You can make up a gospel of Jesus Christ without repentance. But it doesn't mean that this gospel of Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. It doesn't mean that this gospel will help you have a relationship with God either. Many believe themselves to be saved and on their way to heaven and to be with God forever when they die. But they are deceived and really on their way to hell because they do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Bible says that one should be saved. Last scripture today, John 14, 21. Jesus says, he who has my commandments, or you you could say his words or his teachings that he taught because that's where he gave his new commandments and keeps them. Notice, he who has them and does them is he who loves me. Not he who believes in me, but he who has what I said and does what I say is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, conditional love, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is what it means to be saved. We stop loving and living for self and loving God by our ways and turning to Jesus as our Savior and following him. Him. If you are in need of repentance to come to Jesus Christ and surrender, then please do this and be saved. Because it is not because it is not those who just believe in the man Jesus Christ that are saved. It's those who surrender to him and make him their Lord and begin to follow his ways and teachings that are saved and going to be with God forever. If you need him, if you know you're not there, surrender. The false gospel without repentance will not save you, nor will stories either. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Lord God, that you, you laid down all these truths in your word. And Lord, all we have to do is follow your word. Because the truth is in your word. God, I pray for all the people that are deceived today that think that they know you, that think that they love you, yet they live in ways that are against you. They live willfully in ways that are against you, Lord God. I, I, Lord, they're deceived and they're not in the right place with you, but they don't realize it. I 
pray, dear God, right now that you'd help them to realize it. Get this message out, Lord God. You must repent. It was said before Jesus' ministry. Jesus spoke it in his ministry. It came after the resurrection. It came even in the end times to the churches. Your churches. Therefore, repent. Lord, we cannot live any way we want and still know you and still have a relationship with you. Lord, you call us to holiness. You you call people to salvation, which means loving you and not loving themselves and serving you and not serving themselves. Lord, I pray, please, dear God, help those listening to this message and help this message get out everywhere, Lord. Help these people listen to this message in the church of our last days. Lord, help them to realize that they're wrong and they have a false gospel, a gospel without repentance, and turn them to you. And bring them to be saved. Bring them to their knees. Lord, where they surrender all to you. Not they are the Lord of all in themselves. We love you and we praise you, dear God, here at Gospel Saving Church. And thank you for another opportunity to teach your truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.